What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Now it's time to talk about Bernie and socialism. Bernie gave an important speech on the topic last week, and our John Nichols spoke with him about it before that speech. Of course, John is The Nation's national affairs correspondent. He's also host of the Next Left podcast, our sister podcast at The Nation. And he's also written about the senator and socialism in a number of books, including... The S-Word, A Short History of an American Tradition, Socialism. John, welcome back. It's an honor to be with you, John. Well, of course, Trump declared in his State of the Union speech, quote, America will never become a socialist country, close quote. And of course, that makes us only think maybe it will. Let's listen to a little of Bernie's big speech on socialism last week. In 1944... FDR proposed an economic bill of rights, but he died a year later and was never able to fulfill that vision. Our job 75 years later is to complete what Roosevelt started. And that is why today I am proposing a 21st century economic bill of rights. A bill of rights that establishes once and for all that every American, regardless of his or her income, is entitled to the right to a decent job that pays a living wage, the right to quality health care, the right to a complete education, the right to affordable housing, the right to a clean environment, and the right to a secure retirement. Over the course of this election, my campaign has been releasing and will continue to release detailed proposals addressing each of these yet-to-be-realized economic rights. We will also address the attacks that are being launched every day against the civil rights and civil liberties of our people. 
And let me be absolutely clear. Democratic socialism means to me requiring and achieving political and economic freedom in every community in this country. John Nichols, why do you think Bernie begins here with FDR in 1944? Well, it's a proper place of beginning because 1944 was the year in which the Democratic Party began to wrestle with the future. And what I mean by that is that Roosevelt was a a transitional and, and in many ways transformational president. He took a Democratic Party that was in many senses very conservative, that eight years before Roosevelt became president had nominated a Wall Street lawyer as a candidate for president, and that in many senses uh, was less associated with progressive ideals as regards economic and social justice than uh, many people in the Republican Party. And so in 1944, as he prepared to run for his fourth term as president, Franklin Roosevelt sought to define a post-Depression, post-World War II vision. And that vision suggested that in addition to the political rights, which we well understood and that we had fought for, speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and all the others, that we also needed now to understand economic rights and that those economic rights had to become a part, at the very least, of the Democratic Party's vision as it went forward politically. Now, Roosevelt was reelected on this message, uh, but he died shortly after his reelection. Truman sought to maintain some elements of it, but not overly successfully. And uh, in many senses, the Democratic Party became uh, better than it had been, but cautious. What Sanders is doing here is twofold. Number one, he is calling the Democratic Party to once again be that bold party, that FDR party, and also suggesting that a democratic socialist vision, now Roosevelt wasn't a democratic socialist, but Roosevelt was someone who borrowed a lot of ideas from democratic socialism and in many ways moved the country uh, in a direction that might reasonably have be imagined to have ended up uh, along a, a European model to say, you know, this is not un-American. This is something that Roosevelt envisioned. This is something that a lot of people have envisioned throughout our history. And this is something that at this point, the Democrats and the broader majority of Americans need to understand and embrace. Well, I'd like to talk about to what extent Bernie's socialist program is different from the rest of the Democratic candidates. For instance, Elizabeth Warren, she calls herself a capitalist, while Bernie, of course, calls himself a socialist. If you look at what they've proposed, instead of what they call themselves, are there significant differences? I think there are some differences, and we can talk about them in a moment. But it's also important to understand, John, that throughout American history, we've had this, this sort of circumstance where some people identified as democratic socialists, others identified as progressive capitalists. They often intersected along the way. What Michael Harrington used to say, Michael Harrington being the great democratic socialist organizer of the 1960s, 70s, and 80s, uh, was that you really embraced liberalism and progressivism 
uh, along the way because it, it did, in many cases, lead toward a democratic socialist vision. With that said, are there differences between Sanders and Warren? Yes, there are. Uh, Sanders has, has taken some significantly bolder stands on foreign policy issues, yes. on international solidarity issues. And it might also be argued that Sanders has a kind of a whole vision, if you will, that he does put under this term democratic socialism. And it goes a bit more aggressively into concepts of universal delivery of services and universal delivery or meeting of needs. It's not to diminish Warren's approach, but simply to suggest that for a very long time, for decades, Bernie Sanders has argued for this kind of whole vision that does use the word socialism. And that's the final thing I would suggest that distinguishes them is this. And it, it's a sense of how you run against Donald Trump if you are the nominee. And let's, let's uh, assert up front that both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren would be outstanding nominees against Donald Trump. What Bernie Sanders says is that if you lean into the term democratic socialism, then when Trump calls you a socialist, you say, yeah, and here's what it means. <laughs> Whereas yeah. if you reject the term and if you don't want to use it, then when Trump calls you it, you're sort of put in a more difficult position of debating him. We also need to talk about Joe Biden in this context. If we look at what, how Bernie defined democratic socialism in his speech last week, there are a couple of things here that I think Biden probably supports. The right to quality health care. He did not say Medicare for all. He said quality health care. I'm sure Joe Biden is for quality health care. The right, he said, to a secure retirement. That means the Social Security program. All the Democrats and a lot of Republicans support the Social Security program. I think the radical one in Bernie's definition of socialism last week was the right to a decent job that pays a living wage. I'm sure Joe Biden is for a living wage. You know, all Democrats are for a living wage. But the idea that there is a right to a decent job and that the government has a responsibility to guarantee jobs, that is a very left-wing idea. Well, it's as left-wing as Roosevelt, right, in the 1930s. It's a idea that a number of the Democratic candidates have embraced. It's not just Bernie Sanders. A number of them have talked about filling this, this void in America, this gap, where we have a lot of jobs, but we don't necessarily have a lot of good jobs and a lot of jobs that really provide both a living wage and some sort of um, broader set of benefits and, and support. And so this is an open discussion in our times. One of the mistakes that we always make when we have debates about nomination when we're looking at a particular year is that we live in that year, right? And we say, well, the economy is pretty good right now. There's a lot of jobs. What you have to understand is that the history of the United States is one in which we've had periods where there were a lot of jobs and that wages were rising. We've also had periods where there weren't a lot of jobs and periods where wages were really depressed. And, and again, this is more of a democratic socialist model, because if you look at the Scandinavian states, if you look at Germany, uh, other countries that have been influenced in their economic policymaking by democratic socialist visions, they put a lot of planning in. And so they prepare for the moment when you don't have enough jobs, when, when people aren't making a, a sustainable living. And I think that in this period, as we look toward the many challenges of automation, as well as changing the economy to address climate change via a Green New Deal, 
Uh, this is something all the candidates should be talking about. They can talk in different ways. I'll accept that. But at the end of the day, I think the 21st century is going to come to a place where the government is going to have to have a significant role in, in at least talking about how we make sure that everybody's got a job. Or if not a job, at least an ability to support themselves and sustain themselves in a period of radical economic and social transformation. Let me just add, if our listeners want to read a terrific book about the automation and its implications for our future, I recommend the book People Get Ready by John Nichols. I also recommend that, John. And finally, I want to ask about the Next Left podcast, our sister podcast of the nation. Uh, you interviewed Bernie, but although that interview has its transcript posted at thenation.com, the interview itself is not on the Next Left podcast this week. Why not? Next Left has very strict rules, John. We do not interview candidates for president because we're talking about the Next Left. We're talking about you know rising new political figures at the national, state, local levels. In fact, just the other day, I interviewed a judge in Houston, Texas. And so we want to introduce people to folks they may not have always heard about rather than you know looking at horse race, so to speak. And so that's, that's it. We've got a no presidential candidates rule. And who then is on the Next Left podcast this week? It's Sarah Inamorato. She is a state representative in Pennsylvania. And I, I really recommend people check it out because she's a remarkable figure. She's somebody, a young woman in her area where she grew up around Pittsburgh, had, been, had never voted in an election where this one guy hadn't been on the ballot as the candidate for state representative. And he rarely had opponents. She decided to challenge him in the Democratic primary. It seemed like an incredibly insurmountable race. What she did was quite remarkable. She went to the doors. She and her supporters did thousands of doors. And personally, she really opened up about herself. She told her own story, her family struggles economically and her dad struggling with addictions and shared a lot of herself in order to get people talking about their own experience. Remarkably, she came away from those doors with a, an understanding of the issues that really were scaring people, that really were concerning people. Things like asthma and, you know, in an area with a lot of pollution, the rise in the amount of asthma. And so imagine this. She challenged an entrenched incumbent. Instead of using the usual consultant talking points with ads and, and literature in that, that talked about the rise in asthma, that talked about the opioid crisis, that talked about all sorts of other issues, and put responses to them in the context of a democratic socialist vision. Uh, and she won. And she's now serving in the legislature. So she's got quite a tale to tell. You can listen to John Nichols' interview with Sarah Inamorato on the Next Left podcast. And you can read John Nichols' interview with Bernie Sanders at thenation.com. John, thanks for talking with us. Always great to have you on the show. Total pleasure to be with you, my friend. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening.
This year, build your credit history with the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. No credit checks to apply. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Chime checking account and 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. 